0: Many of the previous helicopter accidents that I have reviewed on this channel were due to a pilot making a terrible decision. A decision that was most likely heavily influenced by psychological factors, spatial disorientation, organizational culture, complacency, poor training, ignorance, failing to follow a checklist, simply not paying attention, or in some cases just flat-out reckless behavior. And the goal of telling these stories is to learn from all of those situations, to improve, to progress, to be safer, to get better. But sometimes you can do everything right and catastrophe can still strike. The story of Pafford Air One coming up on this episode of the Doctor Medic. The operator in this accident was Air Methods, but with a somewhat unique setup. Air Methods and many other operators have many hospital-based helicopter systems where the medical crew are all employed by a large local teaching hospital, with the helicopter itself, the pilots, the mechanics, and the dispatchers usually being provided by a large Part 135 operator such as Air Methods, MedTrans, or Metro Aviation, just to name some examples. Or there may be a community-based system like AirEvac Life Team where everyone, including the medical crew, are also employed by the operator. But in this case, the medical crew were employed by a large ambulance provider, in this case called Pafford Medical Services. Now Pafford has been around for nearly 60 years with a very heavy presence in many of our rural communities, especially in Arkansas, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, and Oklahoma. Pafford provides 911 ambulance services, ground critical care inter-facility transfers, as well as both rotor and fixed wing air ambulance services. But the actual operator for this flight was Air Methods, regarded as the largest air medical provider in the entire world with over 300 bases just here alone in the United States and 5,000 employees. The aircraft in this accident was this Bell 407 built in 2015 and displaying the livery of Pafford Air 1, with tail number November 620 Papa Alpha. The 407 is powered by a single Rolls-Royce 250C-47B turboshaft engine making a whopping 813 horsepower and had a total of 1,055 hours on the airframe. This aircraft did also have an Artex C126 emergency locator transmitter installed that the NTSB later said was never activated. Sitting in the back of this aircraft were the two medical crew members employed by Pafford with 26-year-old flight paramedic John Trey Uld III from Louisiana and 61-year-old flight nurse James Lawson Spruill of Alabama. The pilot was 46-year-old Michael Bolin out of Hot Springs, Arkansas. And Michael was employed by Air Methods and was a former AH AH-64 Apache pilot, as well as the OH-58. I'm sure most of you have heard of the Apache, but the OH-58 is a super cool Army helicopter that dates all the way back to the Vietnam War era. Used mainly for reconnaissance, it also had direct fire capabilities. OH-58 was based on the original versions of the Bell 206, with later models being heavily influenced by the Bell 407, such as the accident aircraft, especially with the upgraded transmission and the four-bladed rotor system. Pilot Michael was a commercial flight instructor with over 4,000 hours of time as pilot in command with over 200 hours in the 407. Michael had worked for Air Methods for years and was quite familiar with the area that he was flying in. The weather was absolutely perfect with visual conditions, clear with no clouds at all. The temperature was 7 degrees Celsius with a dew point of negative 2 degrees Celsius. One important factor though is that the sun and the moon were both at least 15 degrees below the horizon, which means that while this was a very clear night, it was also an extremely dark night with absolutely no artificial light below them as they were flying over a very rural and frontier area with the closest artificial light being nearly 13 miles away. Now this accident took place on November 19th, 2017, just outside Stuttgart, Arkansas in the United States. The crew was based at Pine Bluff Regional Airport when around 1945 hours local time, they received a flight request to pick up a patient from a hospital in Helena West Helena. Yes, it's both names, that's the way you say it. Which was about 80 miles to the east-northeast of their base. They checked their weather and confirmed that weather is not an issue at all. And all three of them take their night vision goggles with them. They launch without issue and head on a bearing of 070 at 116 knots, around 1,252 feet MSL, which is just a little over 1,000 feet above the ground. They cruise for just about 10 minutes without issue when suddenly the windshield is destroyed and absolute pandemonium ensues. The pilot does all that he can to try and control the aircraft, but he is already seriously injured and is unable to see anything or control the aircraft at all. A witness is on the ground nearby and sees that the helicopter is spinning around completely out of control while also noting that there were thousands upon thousands of geese in the area and they are all spooked, extremely loud, and they are all flying together. The aircraft continues to spiral out of control until it impacts the ground at 19.55 hours just on the banks of a large water reservoir. A large post-impact fire then consumed the majority of the fuselage. A 911 call then immediately comes in from the witness, and the wreckage is found just about 15 minutes later. Sadly, pilot Michael Bolin, flight paramedic Trey Uld, and flight nurse Jim Spruill were all killed in this accident. The investigation began immediately, and the major cause of this accident quickly started to reveal itself. The windshield was destroyed long before impact with the ground, and the remains of large birds were found littered throughout the inside of the aircraft, including in the pilot's foot pedals, all throughout the cockpit and canopy, as well as all around the impact crater at the actual crash site. But even with all of these bird remains, they still tested and inspected all of the major controls and found that there was absolutely nothing mechanically wrong with this aircraft prior to making impact with the ground. Toxicology tests were also performed on the pilot right here in Oklahoma City, and everything came back negative. So what kind of birds were these? And where did they come from? Well, samples from each different area where bird remains were found were sent to the Feather Identification Laboratory at the Smithsonian Institution which is a part of the National Museum of Natural History located in Washington, D.C. When comparing the samples submitted by the NTSB, the investigators determined that the remains were all from snow geese and all averaged around five or six pounds. So what was it that brought down this aircraft? Well, the NTSB found that the probable cause of this accident was an in-flight loss of control due to bird strikes. Dozens and dozens of snow geese who all smashed through the front windshield of the aircraft, with one report showing that the actual windshield itself caused a severe penetrating injury to the pilot prior to impacting the ground, which most likely means that the pilot was severely, if not completely, incapacitated once the helicopter actually made impact with the geese. The medical crew in the back? Had absolutely no recourse whatsoever and probably had no clue what was going on as they spiraled to the ground. Now, before we go any further, I do want to point out that there were multiple discrepancies within this NTSB report. The final report that is on the internet shows that this crew was dispatched at 1820 hours local time and then had a final GPS transmission at 1855 hours right before it impacted the ground. But the unofficial NTSB incident report, which historically is completed by hand, shows a dispatch time of 19.45 hours local time with a crash time of 19.55 hours. The final report also says that it took several hours to locate the accident site and that there were no witnesses to this crash. Both of these statements are 100% incorrect. How do I know? Because there was an eyewitness who hand wrote a statement stating what exactly it was that they saw and specifically that they called 911 at 19.58 hours. For some reason, this handwritten eyewitness report is not even listed as part of the official NTSB investigation docket. In fact, just one day after the accident, a local sheriff named Todd Wright went on local TV to discuss the accident, and he stated that there was an eyewitness who saw everything and that there was no mention of not being able to find the wreckage. From the witnesses' testimony who saw the aircraft go down, uh, you know, there was geese in the area. Crazy side note, this same sheriff was all over national news a few years ago as he was forced to resign in absolute utter shame after his wife recorded him during an argument making the most terribly racist comments. But either way, This is not the first or even the seventh time that I have seen major inconsistencies like this from NTSB reports for helicopter accidents. I am happy and proud to live in a country that has the resources to fund an agency like the NTSB. I mean, they do a lot of good things and they have a lot of good people who work for them who truly want to help people and make a difference. But they took nearly a year to finalize this report and publish it and got all these things wrong. And in my opinion, getting these times incorrect and especially stating that it took several hours to find the wreckage when it really only took about 15 minutes, and stating very specifically that there were no eyewitnesses to this accident is just flat-out incompetence. This is a citable, empirical, and scientific investigative report, and it should be held to the absolute highest of standards. So, could this accident have been prevented? Well, once the birds are in front of the aircraft, there's not really a whole lot that anybody can do. Yes, the med crew and everybody can call out the birds, but maybe one bird or two, not 57,000 of them. The crew had their NVGs with them, but due to the massive crash damage and post-impact fire, it was pretty much impossible to tell if any of the crew were actually wearing them. In my experience, with three sets of NVGs on the aircraft, super dark conditions, and no patient on board, it would certainly make sense to me that all three of them would have had their NVGs on, but I have to admit that that is pure speculation on my point. And in all honesty, I'm not sure that the NVGs would have helped anyway. If the aircraft is flying at 120 miles per hour in the absolute pitch black dark, and all of a sudden thousands of five pound birds are directly in front of the aircraft, don't really think that there's anything that NVGs were gonna do to prevent this accident. Yes, an operator can actually replace their stock acrylic windshields with an aftermarket polycarbonate one, but this is a massive cost to a large fleet. adds weight to the aircraft and is really not designed to stop thousands of birds from smashing through the windscreen, so an aftermarket windscreen probably wouldn't have helped anyway and just would have cost more. And there are federal safety requirements that say that a helicopter needs to be able to continue flight and land after a bird strike, but that is only assuming that there is a single 2.2 pound or single kilogram bird, not thousands of five pound geese. So the only way they really could have prevented this was maybe to not have taken the flight in the first place and the only reason they would have turned down the flight is if the pilots somehow knew that these geese were there in the first place. Now, the United States Air Force did develop a bird avoidance model, otherwise known as BAM, that analyzes and correlates the migration habits of birds and places all of that information into a nice visual model that can help pilots to mitigate bird strike encounters. But, at least at the time, this was only a requirement for the military and was not required for civilian pilots, although the information was technically available. From what I have found, this BAM report is now a regular part of the shift change briefing process at many HEM services in the States. When looking at the reports for the accident date, there is a model that overlays the accident helicopter's flight path with the forecast for migratory birds, with things getting a little bit better after dark. But even if the pilot had this information, I'm not sure it would have helped unless he somehow decided to abort the flight, which I highly doubt that he would have done. This crew got along. They had great camaraderie. They had a perfectly functioning and more than capable aircraft. They certainly seemed to work in a culture that supported solid crew resource management and a safety reporting system. They had NVGs, and they were flying over 1,000 feet above the ground. And this catastrophe still occurred. While I don't believe that there could have been much that this crew could have done to prevent this accident, one positive that does come out of this is that this helicopter operator and many others now include this bird report as part of their regular shift briefings. I will admit that I had never previously heard of this BAM report and never knew that the information contained was publicly available. If you fly VFR flights at these altitudes, especially in hems, especially in migratory bird areas, does your Operator include these briefings about migratory birds? If the briefing shows a heavy forecast for bird migration, what's the plan at your base for the rest of the shift? Let me know in the comments below, as I think this would be a great thing to share with crews from all over the country and all around the world. And if you do not use the report, I have posted a link to the BAM report resources in the description below, so at least you can look it up on your own and have a look. Thank you all for watching. Feel free to smash that super thanks button above. Take care of each other, and I do look forward to seeing you on the next episode.